Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Has he been good to you today? Amen. Amen. You glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. You guys all may be seated. This is the one portion of the service where you get to take a break. And that's all right. Amen. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord today? I wonder if I can adjust this. All right, so I'm going to be reading, so we've got the time going, from 1 Kings chapter 19, a very uh, familiar story, and then after that I'm going to go to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and um, um, if you were here yesterday, I had such a great time of fellowship, such a a spirit of friendship and community, and it was just a great time. And I want to say how much I enjoyed being with the people of God, just um, reaching this world, talking to family and friends, and 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 it was such a great time. And I, I thank you for that opportunity. It was uh, very special to me. So, First Kings, chapter nineteen, and it'll be a little lengthy reading. This is Bible class, after all. So. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal uh, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messengers uh, to, uh, to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that he, uh, that he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Basically, I give up. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him, and said unto him, Arise, and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him. I want you to know, I feel that Jesus is going to touch you today. I don't know what you came here with, but I felt that when I was praying about this, that the Lord's going to touch somebody today. And said, Arise, and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights into Horeb, the mount of God, that is Mount Sinai, for anybody else that doesn't know. And he came thither uh, unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thy altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, this is God, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains 
and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out, and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel had forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meloah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that of him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So he departed thence, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him, and cast his mantle upon him. And now we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And just two verses here. So I returned... And considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold the tears of such as were oppressed and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was, no, there was power but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praise the dead which are already dead more than they that living which are yet alive. And I want to just teach a little bit today on stepping out of shadows. There was... Um, some years ago, I was little, probably nine or ten, that our family decided to uh, take a little camping trip and, um, at a lake. And around this lake were a number of caves. Um, and I was with some older, uh, my teenage uh, cousins, and they got this bright idea that they're going to go explore these caves. And so me being young, I decided to follow along and uh, go see what it's like to be in these caves. And, uh, you know, they have these not the sharpest tool in the shed cousins that I'm following with one flashlight between them. And they're going and they're telling stories how people get lost in caves. And, you know, me, I'm following right along with them. Like, I think this is probably not a good idea, but let's go anyways. And so as they proceeded to go and walk into these caves, I, I pursued and about probably 10 or 15 feet into the cave after looking around after seeing the dark place dark time I decided fishing was a much better thing I should be doing right now and so I turned around and walked back out of these caves and I caught a nice perch when I went back out there and decided to go fishing instead of exploring these caves and of course uh, one of them did get lost the, old, the adults had to go find them in these caves and I learned very quickly when I stepped into that cave that even though as you walk into it, you're so close to the light that there's so very many shadows in the beginnings of a cave. And we find Elijah in a very, a very sad, a very lonely place in his time where 
He assumed that things were going to change in his situation on top of Carmel. He assumed that there was going to be a great revival when the fire fell, consumed that burnt offering and all the water, that everything was going to change, everything was going to get better, everything was going to be just as he thought it would be until a message came saying that you're going to die. He's thought, well, King Ahab was so excited it was going to rain. The rain came after this, but yet the message still came, you're going to die. And I, I, want, I really was dwelling on this, this topic, and the Lord had, had given me this some time ago. And, and uh, over the course of several months, it's been just kind of uh, building and building different aspects of this. And, and I was... So fixated on this idea of him running to a cave because I feel that so many of us have done the same thing or are currently situated in a cave-like situation in your life. Caves were never a good place to be. In Genesis chapter 19, Lot and his two daughters, after escaping from Sodom and Gomorrah, camped out in a cave. And from the, that decision... Two of the greatest enemies of Israel were born, Ammon and Moab, or came out of that, that, that cave. In Genesis chapter 23, Abraham buries his wife Sarah in the cave of Machpelah. And then in Genesis 25, Abraham himself was buried in that same cave. In Genesis chapter 50, Jacob was buried in that cave. In Joshua chapter 10, five kings of the Amorites hid themselves in a cave for fear of the Israelites. Very interesting, because in Judges chapter 6, the Israelites are now hiding in caves from the people that they had been swore to destroy. In Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel, the Israelites heard, hid from the Philistines in caves. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, David runs and hides from Saul in the cave of Adullam. And then in the chapter previous to 1 Kings chapter 19 and chapter 18, Obadiah hides a hundred prophets of the Lord from death at the hand of Queen Jezebel in a cave. All through scripture, caves were not a good place to be. Even Lazarus in the New Testament, the Bible says, was buried in a cave. <clears throat> a cave is a place of fear. It's a place of darkness. It's a place of death. Nothing grows in a cave except shadows. Elijah just experienced his greatest victory on Mount Carmel and just as quickly experienced his greatest defeat when Jezebel sent the messenger to him saying, I'm going to take your life. And after this point, after this point is when the true story that I read to you begins because it's after this point that Elijah takes on a different mindset. It's one of... I'm no good. He's done so many great things up to this point, but because it didn't turn out the way he thought it should, he began to tell himself that I'm no good. I'm no better than my fathers. I'm no better than the people that came before me. I may, might as well die. I've, I've got no use and no purpose anymore. He runs and hides under a juniper tree, knowing that the situation in his life is dire. He believes that. We know the end of the story, and so we know that, that that's not the truth. 
But in that moment, in that place of pain and agony from when you thought things should be a certain way and that they should change and become what you thought they should, when they don't, you take on a different mindset. You take on a defeatist mindset. You take on a mindset that says, I'm not worth anything anymore because what I thought should have taken place did not take place. And I'm running. What I thought was such a beautiful part of this story is that while he's running for fear of his life, the Lord is still providing for him. The Lord is still providing food. Even on a journey where the Lord ends up asking him, what are you doing here? He has provided angels to guide him along because he knows that the pain is real in his situation. That the pain in his life that he's experienced is real to him. And God was going to guide him to that place. Everything was supposed to be better. Elijah said, it is enough. That's I give up. It's funny to give up as a common definition of to cave in. I give up. I've caved. Before he ever got to a cave, he had already caved. Before he ever set his mind on that, he's already put it in his head that I'm giving up. The cave is a natural progression of where you end up when you already give up on everything else. I'm going to find that place where it's safe. Sure, the cave seems safe for a little bit, but it's not a place to stay. Sure, the darkness, it seems a little, a little comforting because I'm here, I'm obscure. Nobody can see me in my place here and I'm safe, but it's not a place to stay in. He gave up before he made the shadows his home. The definition of a shadow is a dark area. Cast upon a surface by a body or object, intercepting the rays from a source of light. It's partial darkness. It's not complete darkness, it's partial darkness or obscurity within a part of space from which rays of a source of light are cut off by an object or structure. And what's funny is this definition of shadow said it's a shelter from danger or observation. The shadows can be somewhere where it's a shelter to you. It's a place you want to be back in because it's a safe place to be. Week in after dilemmas and catastrophic news and deep disappointment, remorseful outcomes, horrific betrayals that can send us into a safety of a spiritual and emotional cave, one in which we are surrounded by solid walls of despondency, solid walls of indifference, The cave is a place of safety at first. It's a shelter from the ravages of life for a little while, but it becomes a place of obscurity and shadows. In the darkness of a cave so close to the light, there are so many shadows. We can see shadows in everything, and it's based on the event we live our life through. Elijah could only fixate on the wrongs that were done in his life that the people have walked away from God, that they've torn down the altars, that they're trying to take my life, that it's all about me. When you get in that cave space, it's about no longer fixating on what you're supposed to do and searching and and helping this world, but it's more about me. Now it's me. They've done all this stuff, and I'm alone. I'm the only one that serves you. I'm the only one that loves you the way that you deserve to be loved. I'm the only one. Everybody else has fallen away. Everybody else has betrayed me. And it's easy to get stuck in that place. And it's easy to view everything in your life through the shadows of those events that take place. 
We can stand here if the lights were down in, in your area and the light was up there. We can be so close to the light. We can be so close to it and yet we're not sitting or dwelling in the light. And if there was something, if you put a person here, or if you put an object here, that we could view the light, but it would be blocked by that, that person or that thing that we've got in our life, that event, that situation that has been constantly in front of us, has blocked the light from us. And I believe the Lord is wanting to, to speak light and life to people, but they have the event in their life always standing in front of them that they're viewing the light through. And they could try to move to the side, but as soon as something similar comes, a certain attitude or a certain uh, person, a personality or a certain event that feels like that, they can themselves move that thing in front of their eyes so that they're viewing the light once again through the shadow of that event that took place in their life. Elijah did this constantly. The Lord said, come out of the cave. What are you doing here? And he went out and the Lord showed him, the fire, and showed him the earthquake, and showed him the wind. But none of those things had God in it for him. But there's something that took place between that time and when that still small voice happened, because the Bible says he called to him again, and instead you see him coming out of the cave again. It wasn't a back-to-back-to-back. Something had happened when he didn't feel God in that fiery moment. He went back into the cave. And that's when he decided to come back out. He was sitting there getting accustomed to the darkness again, getting accustomed to where there's no light and just shadows. Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and 33 says, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth in a secret place, neither under a bushel but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thy eye is single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But when thy eye is evil or bad, thy body is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Jesus was telling us what we take in and what we view through that comes in has an effect on our inside that shines out from that point. If we are viewing things through the shadows of events that happened in our life, that even when that light comes, it's in a dark place. It's in a darkness in our heart. And whatever that is comes out. There's no, there's no joy in our life. There's no pleasure, no, no benefit to our life. I told Pastor about this, this next part here a month ago or so. Matthew 5 and 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. And this passage has bothered me for, for, a, for quite a long time because in my experience, I have never found salt that had ever lost its savor. I thought this may be just a, uh, an idea that it's impossible for these things to happen, but that, that's not the case. Because when I was doing a study, I found that the, the salt around the Dead Sea is full of impurities. And I found a man that had gone and he had broken off a piece that was exposed. It was exposed to rain. It was exposed to wind, to, to cold and hot. And though it looked like salt and though it sparkled like salt, it had no taste to it whatsoever. 
And he said that this salt had no purpose. You couldn't put it on the ground because it would still sterilize the ground. It still had a damaging effect in that. The only thing it was good for is to be cast under the foot of men to, on wet surfaces so that you wouldn't slip and fall. It was just good to be trodden under. There was no taste to it. And there are things in life that can rob the very savor from your life. You can have events in your life that you become so darkened by life, by the situation that you're in, that all you can see is through shadows and you no longer have a savor. You look like salt and you act like salt, but there is no savor to your life. Because of life, because of situations and hardships. But he said something interesting. He said, the salt that was still connected to the rock still maintained its savor. And that is what happens whenever you let life come in and you build yourself into that spiritual and emotional cave. You separate yourself from the light source that's in you and there is no more savor to your life. God is trying to bring savor to this church. I felt it so strongly yesterday when we were just as a family just trying to serve the community. It wasn't even necessarily about making a dollar. It was about just loving each other and loving the community that came in. And we'd go to each other's shops and buy from them because there was just a love there of community. But God's asking for this to be a, a blanket thing for everyone to partake in. But we have to get those shadows out of our eyes. We have to quit looking at wrongs and things that have done in our past that we view things through that are trying to get our attention away from what God's trying to do in our life. We've got to have a savor to us. Micah 6 and 8, um, Brother Piercy in his great lesson a couple Sundays ago, um, I had just read that that morning before he used it, but he used it in his passage. And, and he, he said, He has showed the old man what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And it, it, this, it kept coming to me, and I was like, Lord, what are you trying to say in this? What are you trying to tell us? What are you trying to get across to me in this? And it kept, I, kept, I was in prayer, and I just kept running over this, over what are you trying to say in this? And he says, you've you got to do justly. That's doing righteousness. That's just being right. And you've got to walk humbly with your God. That's a natural thing. But he says, you've got to love mercy. And we come here, and out of social expectation, we can be merciful and kind to people, but we do not love it. We can shake the hand and we can hug people, but we do not love the mercy. And God's trying to call all of us to love mercy, to love loving kindness. That's what that word means, loving kindness. It's where it's something more than just, I'm shaking your hand because I'm meeting my expectation when I come in through these doors and I'm forgetting everything you told me from that point on. But I want to love you after I leave here. I want something stirred in my soul after I leave here. Because I want something that, that reaches not just me, but it reaches the community around me and these people that I love. Elijah was back in that cave after seeing all those wonderful things of, of God. And when the Lord called him, called him out of that dark place, 
The Bible said he wrapped his mantle around his face. And you've all experienced that one time where you, you're in a dark place for a long time. And, and as you get close to the light, it begins to hurt your eyes. It begins to be painful. And so he said he wrapped his face in his mantle. And that's what happens is whenever you get so hurt, you know you need the light and you want to come to it. But you still, you still maintain the darkness even when you're coming to the edge of that cave. And I'm speaking to somebody here. I felt it so desperate in my spirit that you've got to come out of that cave. But more than just coming out of that cave, you've got to take down whatever is blocking your vision from what God is trying to do in your spirit. You've got to set aside whatever that is. If it's a person, set that out of your mind and move it aside. If it's an event in your life that happened that created such darkness, you've got to move it aside because God's got something better for you. God said something greater for you. But you have to take the mantle off your eyes. And it's got to go back to your shoulders where it belongs. I just feel that God wants to break someone free today. I felt it while I was praying that the Lord wants to do a breaking in someone's life. Not a breaking of your spirit. Not a breaking of your heart. But like Mary's alabaster box. He wants to break something in you where that aroma begins to spill out. But you have to get those shadows out of your eyes. You got to quit seeing things through the negativity that you've experienced in your life. You got to get that out because there's an aroma trying to come forth. And you got to let it out. You got to let that go. Free it. Hebrews 12 and 1, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which will easily beset us, and let us run. We can't run if we're holding on to those things that are blocking the light in our eyes. We can't truly run free from what God's wanting to do in our life. There is a revival taking place in this church. There is something new being birthed in this place. And in order for it to continue and do what it needs to do, we've got to get those shadows, those events and things away from our vision. Take them out of our minds so that we begin to walk according and run according to the word of God. The fire that, that the Lord showed to Elijah, the earthquake, the wind, was examples of things that have experienced in his life when the fire fell on Carmel. The Lord was telling him, look, when that fire fell, that wasn't for you, Elijah. That was for the people. When the wind and the rain came through, that wasn't for you, Elijah. That was for the people. When the still, small voice came, that's when Elijah moved. Why? Because that's what he's always needed. It wasn't the fiery experience. It wasn't the boisterous wind. It was a word from the Lord that he always looked for. You get fixated on the results of that event. That event on Carmel was a start of a change in people's lives. It was not the end result of what he was trying to accomplish. Elijah got it fixated that this was the end result. If I do this, everything's going to change. Everything's going to be better. No, that was just a beginning portion. His life was always on the line. When all the prophets died, he was still going around doing fine. But something took place when he thought the change should happen. But yet, this threat of death came upon me. 
That's whenever we get our mindset in the wrong area. That's when things and events take place and they cause a damage to our, our mental, uh, our capacity to, to, to really navigate the situation that we're in and really see the truth of it. There are some that life, past life, has created such a hardness to your life, such a hard thing to it. I, I worked in construction a lot of years, 10 plus years. I worked around steel, uh, wood, plastic, you know, sharp things, hot objects, uh, cold in the winter, hot in the summer. Um, I, I, I just worked in that environment for a long, long time. And what happened is that when I first started, my hands would hurt. But as the years went on, I could handle a lot more things, a lot more difficult, rough stuff in my life. They had gotten so calloused up that I could pick up hot things. I could turn over steaks on the grill with my fingers without having to use anything. You know, that's, that's how it happens over the time. But those same hands that, that I, I used for that job, I couldn't caress my wife's face or anything without it hurting. It would snag on the clothing because it was jagged and rough. And, and she would say, I just wish you had those, those soft hands before you started that. But I said, I need these hands. I need these to do what I'm supposed to do. But I got out of that, that path. I got out of that life and I got into my new career and my hands got soft again. And she, she loves that. I can't pick up hot things and hard things anymore, but, but they're still soft. But my point is, is that some of us are maintaining the same calloused aspect of our lives because we feel we need it. I need it to make it through this life. I got to stay hard. I got to stay harsh and I got to stay strong, but it's not necessary because you've moved away from that old life and you're trying to start something new and God's trying to soften what's going on in your heart and soften your life because, and this is what's beautiful about this story. He tells Elijah the second time, I need you to go back. I fed you on your way here, but I need you to go back the way you came. And I need you to anoint Jehu to be king. And I need you to anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And I need you to anoint Elisha. The, the, the powerful thing about this is that Elijah did not anoint Jehu, and he did not anoint Hazael to be king. Jehu had the power to change the fearful thing in his life. Jehu could have taken out Jezebel, which he did later on, but Elijah didn't anoint him to do that. The only thing on Elijah's mind was Elisha. I need to anoint a man out there that's going to take my place. I need to find a man that's out there just doing what they do. i got to anoint their life. And the Lord's calling somebody here to take the shadow out of your eyes because there's someone out there waiting, just doing their job, that needs your anointing upon them, that needs you to touch their life in such a way that something's going to change in them. He's no longer concerned about the fear that he had. He wasn't concerned about the change in power anymore. He was only concerned about that young man out there that the Lord gave me a word to go and reach to somebody out there. And I pray that someone can hear me today 
that those shadows are only hindering you. You're not doing what the Lord wants you to do, dwelling in those shadows. It's not about sin in your life. It's about fear. It's about fear of what could happen, what could be. And you need to come out of that so God can use you the way that He wants to use you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I'm, I'm closing here. He says, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such that were oppressed, and they had no comforter. What I found so interesting about this passage, as I'm closing, the previous chapter, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he said, Moreover, I saw under the sun a place of judgment. That means justice, and that wickedness was there, injustice. In the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. And I said in mine heart, God shall judge righteous and the wicked, for there is a time and there for every purpose and every work. And he went through in chapter 3, talking about all the woes, basically like Elijah did. My life is pointless. Life's pointless. We're just like animals. That's what the, Ecclesi the writer of Ecclesiastes went through. But at the end, he says, you know what? It's best that if we just eat and drink and be merry and live our lives, have a good attitude. He ended chapter 3 on such a positive note. But he opened chapter 4 with, so I returned, and I beheld all the oppressions under the earth. And that's what we do. God is trying to call you out of light today, into this light, from the shadows. But we cannot have that mindset of the negative, and then pick it back up right after things get a little bit better, and say, I'm going to return unto the dark place I was again in my thoughts. I'm going to consider the oppressions that are done under the sun. Because that was then. They had no comforter, but we have a comforter. John 14, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I'm just going to leave you with this. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. This is the NLT. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw in me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. And I want you to leave you with that. Come out of that, that the shadows. The Lord's calling you to something more, something better. Amen. But you've got to leave it behind. Can we stand?